Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Teferic Talk. I'm Melissa Stuttered and this is the Blog Talk Radio show for Teferic, a journal of spiritual literature where we publish writings and engage in dialogue to promote peace in the individual and in the world. We're thrilled that you're with us right now and we would love for you to also join our global online community at www.teferitjournal.com. There, in addition to interacting with other members, reading their writings and posting your own writings, you can subscribe to the journal, which in each issue presents beautiful, spiritually and intellectually compelling poetry, prose, and art. This evening's guest is amazing writer and editor William Knauer. Knauer is the author of the inspiring new book, Write Within Yourself, an author's companion. He also hosts the radio program, Author to Author, for which he has conversed with hundreds of writers of every genre about the books we write and the lives we lead. Knauer is editor-in-chief of Author Magazine, for which he writes a popular daily blog about the intersection of writing in our daily lives. Of Write Within Yourself, Erica Bauermeister says, this is a book you'll want to keep on your nightstand or desk, always available, ready to inspire you. Laura Munson says, these stories and essays can't help but land in the heart of the reader. Bill, how are you tonight? I am great, Melissa. How are you? <laughs> well, I'm fabulous because I'm so excited to be talking to you. <laughs> well, I got to say, I am just thrilled. I've seen the list of guests you've had on the show. Holy moly, to be counted amongst them, <laughs> I'm just honored. Well, we're honored, too. Um, I'm going to take a quick second here and see if Jeff is on the line. Jeff, are you there? I am, Melissa. Hi. Uh, hi. Okay, oh. hi. Hello, I'm Jeff. So I'm looking just... forward to this interview. I've been on pins and needles for days. This is going to be wonderful. Oh, Fabulous wonderful. to hear you both speak and talk uh, about what? Writing. <laughs> well, I wanted to let everyone know that Jeff is in the chat room. And, Jeff, thank you so, so much for doing this tonight. I can't see the chat room, so I'm going to leave you unmuted, Jeff, so that if there's anything really important that happens in the chat room or just a, a really interesting question or something that someone has, you can sort of pipe in with it. Um, okay. And so anyone, you know, anyone who's interested in asking a question or anything, just go to the chat room and Jeff's there and he'll be managing that. He'll also be posting all kinds of links during the interview to um, Bill's website and his book and that kind of thing. So thank you. Exactly. <laughs> okay, great. Well, Bill, why don't you start by telling our listeners what it means to write within yourself. Well, to write within yourself means to keep your attention where it belongs and where it's useful and where it needs to be. I think that the reason I called it an author's companion is because, you know, when we are actually in the act of writing, we are, for the most part, alone. Uh, And while it is certainly too easy, it is possible to let our attention stray to thoughts of 
past failures maybe or even past successes or to let our attention stray out into the future where to wonder about what will happen to this thing we're writing. I, in my experience, it is easiest while alone to keep your attention where it belongs, which is within you, which is where all your stories and poems and essays and books begin. They begin inside you, in your imagination, behind that opaque door that is you know, in, that can be not crossed by any other human being. It's just in there. It's you, and it's your job to translate that out, to go into your imagination, your curiosity, and say, what do I want to say today? What is most interesting to me today? And then from that place, you, you write and you create not just the books you want to write, but the life you want to lead. I called an author's companion because the author has a different job. They have to take that work and show it to somebody who isn't them. And those people no matter how lovely, are outside of you. They are not within you. And at that moment, it's very easy to let your attention move from where it needs to be within you to without you and start wondering about what do they think and will they like it and what's everybody else writing and what's the market and what the da, 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 da. all of which are understandable questions, none of which are useful, all of which are like becoming a lost in the maze of infinite possibilities. And so my goal in writing this little piece is to or these little pieces that, uh, that form the collection of right within yourself, is to write something that will direct you back to that place of creativity, that will send you back to within yourself. It's what I did when I wrote them, Melissa. I would literally often sit down with two thoughts in my head, a kind of hopeless thought, uh, which is always what I think when I step, let my attention stray outside of myself. I would have mm -hmm. a sort of thoughts, again, of hopelessness and of, you know, of fear and of powerlessness and of jealousy and of greed and of comparison. And then I have another, a hopeful thought of curiosity and interest and love and enthusiasm. And I would write myself from the one thought to the other because I'm a human being and I have all of them bouncing around in my head. And I would try you know, and land back where I wanted to be. It's amazing that you say that because um, I interviewed, you know, we both know Mark Allen who runs New World mm -hmm. Library. We had a little back and forth about that on Facebook. But I yep. interviewed him not so long ago, and one of the things that he said in his interview, because they published um, Eckhart Tolle's books, he yes. said that he once asked him, how did you write like this? And, and he said, I wrote every word from presence. I sat and waited until yes. it came to me. And when I was reading your book, I thought, this book was written from presence. I could tell as I was reading it, and it was like I was thinking in the same way that meditation brings us back to what's essential to ourselves and our lives, your writings brought us back to that, that deep awareness regarding writing. So um, I'm wondering, you know, clearly you got to that place of being present for the writing. Um, do you have any sort of suggestions or anything on how you did that? I mean, was it really as simple as just saying, no, I'm, I'm blocking this other stuff out? Or, no, there's no blocking. There's no blocking. Okay. There's okay. no blocking. Um, because that blocking actually gives it attention and only ah. strengthens it. It actually only strengthens it. No, what I do is I settle my mind, and I'm really finding my way home. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm finding my way home, which is my... You know, it's a funny thing, Melissa. You know what the challenge everybody has when they talk about this? I was just talking mm -hmm. to my wife about this. It's the same challenge every spiritual teacher has, because, what, because writing takes place in the, in the domain of the non-physical. The imagination is, is imperceivable to the five senses. 
And so I'm trying to use language, which is rooted in the physical world, to describe a process that happens in the non-physical, which is my imagination, right. my free will, and my thoughts. So I'm trying to go home, which is a place I can feel within myself. Mm-hmm. And my goal is not to know the root, but to find the root. To know that mm-hmm. each time I begin, I'm starting someplace different, and so the root's going to be different, but I just keep my trajectory towards that place. And and I know I've succeeded when I feel like I've arrived. I know that is awfully abstract, but I'm <laughs> aiming for the very best feeling I can. I'm aiming for where I want to be. I'm aiming for what I want to feel like. I'm aiming for yeah, the place you know, I wish I lived from, but I can't seem to always. I'm not right. a yet. <laughs> well, you know, and it, it's not. It, it's funny that you said that. It's not really as abstract as you may think it is because, um, you know, what you're basically saying is that uh, you know what it is, and (laughs) if you don't feel it, you know, keep on course to get back to it. Um, That's right. And and I like like the way you called it home. That's that's really beautiful. That's what Um, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, your specialty is the intersection between writing and life. And yeah. um, I just wanted to ask, what are the most important things that you've learned about that intersection? Well, what I've learned is that there's really no difference. That that what you're doing when you're writing a, a book or an essay or poem is you're trying to create the book, or essay, or poem you want to read, that you would most want to read. And so you are you are asking What's the, what should I write today? You ask that question. Then you receive mm-hmm. the answer. I want to rewrite about, you know, I want to write about uh, imagination today. That seems hot to me. And then I translate what's given to me into an essay. And then I've created this essay that I would want to read. But that's how you lead your life. You say, what do I want to see in the world? What do I want to create in the world? And you ask, mm-hmm. you receive, and you translate it into something. You might translate it into a marriage or a dinner or a conversation but it's the same process. And when I can remember that, when I can remember that the experience, the, that the process I go through to write the things I want to write is the exact same process that I would go through to live the rest of my life. It's just with different mechanics, that's all. But it's the same mm-hmm. asking, receiving, getting quiet, acting from that place of, 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 of sort of inspiration, call it divine if you want, but if I can remember to go to that same place that doesn't exist only at the workplace, that learning to trust is learning to trust. You can learn to trust the creative process or you can learn to trust your wife. You know, learning to be intuitive is being intuitive all the time. And learning to make decisions from a grounded place and from a receptive place instead of a manipulative place or a fearful place doesn't matter whether you're at the desk or you're out on the street. It's the same process. And so... I, every time I learn something out away from the desk of value, invariably it finds its way to the desk. And when I learn something valuable at the desk, invariably it finds its way out to the rest of the world as well. It's all the same process because the only thing, because it's creation and all human beings ever do, ever is create. It's all we can do. We're just creation machines. Even when we're dreaming asleep, we create in our dreams. And so it's we're just we we can't stop it. And do you want to create on purpose the life you want, or do you want to create accidentally, which is what a lot of people do because they don't understand that they're creating. And writing can teach you to create on purpose, 
create the thing you want deliberately, just like you can create your life deliberately. So that's really how that's how I've, I I see it, and how I continue to under the to stand the depth of that relationship between my my work, my writing, and my entire life. You know, what's one of the things that's really interesting about what you're saying is that. Um, that could apply to really something other than writing as well, anything that, sure. that you're really focused on. I mean, I'm kind of thinking right now of Siddhartha by Herman Hesse and the river and how he learned the river, and that was, um, in some ways it was arbitrary that it was a river. It could have been a peacock or a tree. You know? right. But by knowing it really well as a microcosm of the whole, he knew the whole. And, um, that's right. and that's kind of what you're saying. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's all the same so, thing, and that's why when I started writing this column, you know, someone said, Bill, you've got to do this every day. And I was like, I cannot do this every day. I can do it once a month. That's what I've been doing. I said, I can't <laughs> do it every day. You know, and then I discovered that I can start anywhere because every you can just like, you know, I, I live in Seattle, and mm-hmm. anywhere in the world will lead me. I can get to Seattle from anywhere in the world eventually. <laughs> Sometimes by walking, sometimes by driving, sometimes by plane, but everywhere leads home. And so in that same way, everything in the world is like a keyhole into the universe. It really is if you let yourself go in deeply because the value lies under the surface, not in the the shape of the thing, not on the surface of it. And so it's all a, a portal in if you are willing to go in. And that's what writing that column every day taught me, that everywhere, every place was a way in if I if I could see it. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. I was wondering about that because, I mean, you write every day. That's an amazing thing. And, and, and some people, a lot of people do write every day, but, um, you know, maybe it's more like doodling, but you write and publish every day. You write something that becomes a, a product every single day. And <laughs> it's been and fantastic, though. It got me, it just, it's been just great. I recommend it for those people who want to like do like mine's technically a blog. I hate that word. I like mm-hmm. essay better, but technically that's what it is. Right. It's a blog in terms of I write it publishes on the author magazine blog, the editor's blog every day. But well, it, 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 it's an essay. It, it, it's not just yeah. a casual blog. It's a formal essay. No. Yeah, it is. Blog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes there's stories and and uh, but what it taught me is is don't worry about getting it perfect. You know, I decided that early on. Like, I said to myself, because I write books as well, and I thought, I'm not going to spend two hours a day crafting this 400-word essay, which I could conceivably if I, you know, got the right, if I so chose. No, I'm going to let myself do it in a half an hour or 45 minutes and, and, uh, and do the best I can in that amount of time. And I will get better at doing it in that amount of time over time. And I will learn to trust myself more, and I will learn to write quicker. And it's been, it's been fantastic discipline, not only learning what I can do in 400 words. That's been an interesting challenge uh, <laughs> in terms of economy. I can do a lot in 400 words if I, you know, I've taught myself how to do that. But also see, you know, relaxing about the perfection of it. It's never going to happen anyway. It's never going to be perfect. Not, not, it just isn't in the cards, but, but, I can get, but I can learn with each essay to get a little bit better and get a little closer and learn more and more and more how it is I, I do what I do. And it's helped me relax my voice, just like a singer would re- needs to relax her throat, you know, to hit the high notes. I feel like that's what writing every day has taught me to do, is to relax with it and not fuss. Not what a fuss, great fuss, analogy. Fuss, 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 like <laughs> <laughs> that's 
That's a great, great analogy. And, you know, another thing that's incredibly inspiring about it is that um, another thing that we see is after every day of writing these essays, you you were thinking in 400-word bursts and yeah. writing these essays, and then over time, what have you got? A book. <laughs> that's right. I know. You know what I mean? It's it's it would, that easy in some ways. It is. You can write a book by writing 400 words a day. Hmm? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You could write like a novel that way. You could write a. You know, it's funny. The first time I ever wrote a novel, it was like miraculous. I'd written theater, I'd written poems and short stories, I'd even written screenplays, but the novel seemed very intimidating to me, as they sometimes are. But I said, okay, I'm just going to get up every day before work, and I'm going to write for two hours before I go off to work every day. And I did that every day, you know, or six days a week. And lo and behold, after nine months, I had a 450-page draft. And I said, oh, I see. If you do something every single day, it will grow. If you if you water the grass, it grows, you know. And it's just that simple. But it seems so mar- – I discovered, like, the fountain of youth. I ran into this woman at work who said she wanted to be a writer. I said, here's the secret. Do it every day. That's all you got to do. Here's the secret. You write. Yes, you write. Wow. That was the first secret I learned. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I wanted to ask you – well, no, there are two things that I really want to ask you, and I'm going to stick with this for a minute. Um, in making this book, what you did is you compiled these, and, and I'm wondering, yeah. you had to make organizational choices. So, yeah, you know, first of all, did you did you organize them by theme, or did you go by the date in which they were written, on which they were written? Um, and I'm wondering that when you did this, you must have seen it all in a new way. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, if you learned new things about yourself and your process of writing as you were compiling the book as opposed to actually doing the writing. Well, that's a good question, Melissa. And I will tell you how I organized it. It has very little organization. And part of the reason was I really envisioned it like a poetry collection because I Mm -hmm. love poetry collections. And the reason I love them is you can open up to any page and there's a little trip into your soul, you know, hopefully. It doesn't matter where you go. And so I always, I really envisioned it that way, that I wanted them all to be equal and be able to read them equally no matter where they were. But I had to organize them somehow. Uh, right. And so if you notice that there, there, some of them are stories about my life and some are essays. And you may notice the stories are chronological. They start with my youth, youth and take you up to the present day. So that was the one sort of structure I had, and there were one or two essays I knew I wanted to start with, and there was one I knew I wanted to end with. But aside from that, no, there was no other order. But I will say this. Uh, I began compiling it, and it was a very nice... The first time I tried compiling it, I sat myself down with them all and started reading them, and I hated them. <laughs> Each oh, and every no. one of them. I hated them equally, but I knew... I was, but I'm experienced enough, Melissa, I knew that that wasn't true, that that was just some kind of weird response. <laughs> And so I put it aside and, and stopped trying to compile them. But eventually I knew I was going to do it. And so mm-hmm. I started picking and choosing and going through and reading them and this sort of thing. And it was great because as I was rereading, rereading them, I thought, I love these stories. I love these Aww. essays. I'm so happy that they're going into a book. I would buy this book. I would buy it. Yes. And I don't know if anyone else will, but I would. And it was the <laughs> best place. It was just the best feeling to know that I was sharing something that I absolutely knew for myself would be valuable, that this would be a gift that someone gave it to me. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but I can't think of a better way to 
put something together. And it was well, very gratifying with that experience of rereading them. Yeah, and I can tell you from a person who's not you that I had the same experience with the book. I, I felt the exact oh, same thing. Oh, good. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, um, some of the essays, I underlined almost the entire essay because uh, there was so much wisdom. I just thought, well, I'm just turning this book a different color. <laughs> <You know? laughs> underlining everything. And I thought, oh, gosh, what am I going to ask him about in the interview? I have like 300 questions I want to ask. Uh, so, um, Well, let me ask you the next question. Um, one of the things that was the most compelling to me in the entire book was in the essay Life Itself. Ah, uh, yeah. Where you, you talk about current. Yeah, I yes. love it. And because this is something I've grappled with my whole life as a writer and just recently started to kind of understand. And then I came across it in your book, and I took such comfort in hearing you describe it and knowing that other people were experiencing it the same way. So yeah. what I'm really referring to is, is this current and why you yeah. fear it and how it can keep you from writing and also how, how wonderful it is and how we can learn to work with it. So if you could yeah. sort of tell them what the current is and, and what I'm talking about here, really. <laughs> well, you, I was referring to trying to write a story and liking it to entering a river um, because mm-hmm. the, a story has its own current, like a, a river's current, and you sort of get into that, and as you write it, especially like a big a book, you're you're traveling along that current and just like a river you can't control it you're not in charge of it but you are but it is taking you on a destination and can you trust it are you willing to go with it and and with the understanding that that you can have all kinds of questions like what if it takes me to some foreign land that I don't want to go or what if the water gets rough and all you know there's the that's the future and 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 stories are like that too you know you really if you're honest, the writing of a even an essay, a little four hundred words essay or or a book, you 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 have to be honest and say I'm not I little me is not actually in control of this. I was thinking, mm-hmm. in fact, I was just thinking about this the other day, Melissa. I thought the, the creative process has everything to do. Like I was competitive. I was a very competitive young man. I ran races mm-hmm. and I wanted to win. I God, I wanted to win. Worse, I really did. Worse than I thought, loss was was near to death. I really did. It was awful. But but the physical world, you know, if you've won, I'm here. He's there. My time's this. His time's that. I can lift more weights. I can jump farther. Whatever the measurement is, we can measure things in the physical world, and that's where victory takes place. But and that's where loss exists too. People die. That's loss. But in the non-physical world, which is where creativity happens. You, that has everything to do with surrender because you have to surrender everything except your your question that you're asking, your ability to perceive the answer, and then your task of translating it that. And you and 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 true creativity says all else does not belong to me. There is just the receiving, the asking, the receiving and the translating. And you must surrender all else. And when you go into a river, you have to surrender to that current. And mm-hmm. in the physical world, we say, well, no, we don't surrender. That's death. That's defeat. <laughs> right? But in the spiritual right. sense, surrender is the is, is peace, is, in fact, creativity, is your well, well-being. You know what, what my big fear is, and that I kind of sensed from you in that passage as well that I liked, is um, I'm afraid 
I didn't really realize this until recently. It was very subconscious, but I was afraid that that it wouldn't let go of me, and my whole life would just go, you know, just fall apart around me while I was caught in this current of writing. And not able, because right. you know, when you get caught up in it, you lose time. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yes, you do. Um, so, yeah, I thought it right. was interesting. That, that you're you know, afraid you the rest of your life will fall apart. <laughs> it's as, an interesting as, thing we have. Like I'll get so I will disappear into this beautiful place that makes me so happy. <laughs> and right, right. and that I'll just want to forget about everybody else I love and want to interact with. <laughs> but you know the what is the last sentence of that I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna read it to you. Okay? Yeah. I'm gonna see yes. if I, uh, life itself is one of my favorites. So I'm gonna it's right at the it's end. On kind page of. Oh there it is. Okay. So yeah. this is the last paragraph of that, okay? Yeah. And this is please. why I said I have wanted to be fa- I have I've have wanted to write to be famous. I've wanted to write so people would think I was smart, and I've wanted to write to make other people happy. It is obvious why none of these are reasons to write, but what was not obvious to me until recently was that I wasn't even writing to tell stories. Eventually, I, like everyone else, was going to have to learn how to let go of the shore once and for all. The closer I got to the water, the more I understood that nothing I wrote was make-believe, that the current I called a story was actually life itself. Mm. And, and so by learning to enter the stream and let go, you're actually learning to enter life completely, what life actually is. Mm-hmm. There, the shore is an illusion anyway. Does that make sense? Wow. Oh, it does. Actually, it does, and I love it. Even love time's it. an illusion, Melissa. Really? <laughs> what exists but right now? <laughs> Ask Eckhart Tolle. Right. It's an illusion. Right. And the thing about writing is you enter the reality, which is that time is a very well, – you enter the sort of non-existence of time within the non-physical place called the imagination. That's right. That's right. And I've heard it said, um, you know, I interviewed Bernie Siegel, and he said that oh, yeah. his, his his theory is that uh, when we're caught up in something that we love that much, in a sense, we're not really aging at the same rate, um, which I thought was kind of fascinating, too. You're in this really, really healthy um, place, you know. Well, of, what of better place could you be? Love. <laughs> and know. also, I think that sickness is an expression of resistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, <laughs> the Course in Miracles calls illness a def- is a defense against the truth, and I and all I think all sickness comes from resisting life, the flow of life, resisting mm-hmm. it, resisting. I need to be in charge. I need to control it. I remember when my wife delivered two babies, we did it naturally, and uh, you know which had its ups and downs. But what she learned was that the pain this is her experience, I'm speaking from her point of view, came from resisting the baby wanting to come out, not from the experience of the baby coming out. It was the, it was wow. the temptation to clamp, to resist what the body was doing without her okay, because she didn't give it the okay, mm-hmm. it did it on its own. And I think that mm-hmm. that's, in my experience, my pain comes from resisting what life, where life is leading me, like trying to swim mm-hmm. back up against that current. Right. You know, it reminds me of uh, one of my other favorite essays in the collection, which is Practically Done. And you talk about how it's actually practical to do what you really want to do. But when you try to go against that, 
uh, you you get all kinds of resistance, and then you you don't get anything done anyway. So <laughs> no, it's so stupid. People say, well, you got to be practical. Well, hey, write what sells. Do what's practical. And and from my experience, I've done what's pra- quote unquote practical because it seemed it seemed like it would be the most profitable thing or it would be the most sort of responsible thing. And invariably, I want to fight it. And invariably, I'm unhappy. And invariably, I'm cranky. And things don't get done. And I quit. And I abandon. Whereas if I love the thing I'm doing, lo and behold, I want to keep doing it. You know, I always say to people, like, when they – one example I use is, like, a violin player. You know, a virtuoso violinist, yes, has an innate – draw towards the towards music and the violin but they have to love the experience of the violin they have to love what it feels like on their fingers they have to love the feeling of the bow going across the strings love love it being cradled under their chin in every little note they just have to love it and 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 so for them to practice yes i'm sure there are days where just like some days i don't want it well almost never do i Am I dying to write? But I always do it and find that I love it once I start. But for them to practice, it's not such a big thing because they love it. They love the experience. And whereas if you don't love playing the violin, it's going to be much more challenging to get yourself to practice for four hours a day or whatever. Love will keep you there. Wow. (laughs) So much to absorb. (laughs) Um, I know. It comes fast and furious. (laughs) It's good. It's really good. Um, I wanted to ask you, you are such a great role model as someone in the writing community, uh, not just doing your own writing, but you're out there advocating for writing and supporting other authors and really, yeah. really being the part of the writing community in a huge way. I mean, you're not in, in some cabin hidden away, no. you know, going no. crazy. It's not The Shining, you know. Um, so no. I, I wonder what advice you would give to someone else who, who wants to not only be a writer but really become involved in the writing community. You know, what would you encourage them to do to kind of follow your path? Yeah, you know, I would I would reach out to other writers either through, you know, like in the Northwest, I'm, the author magazine is funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. So, you, you know, joining a writers association or going to bookstores where they do readings uh, uh, or getting online to communities. But somehow or another, getting a part of the writing community because writers do support each other. Uh, one of the advantages of a, the community of writers is you learn that you're not the only one suffering with what you what you <laughs> suffer with. And that's why I create author. The reason I want to support writers is I know what you go through. I know the crap you will tell yourself and make yourself miserable and make yourself, I mean, really miserable. The writer can get deadly miserable and even doing this thing they love. And I wanted to create a place like author and author to author and my column, which says, I love you. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. We are all going through this. You're okay. Do what you love. Don't listen to that voice. Uh, best-selling writers hear that voice. Uh, Pulitzer Prize winners hear that voice. We all hear it. The only difference is the ones writers we call successful are the writers who who have learned what to to do with that voice, how to turn it off, how not to mm-hmm. listen to it and listen to this other part of themselves. And I want right. to create a place where I authors can remember that they're not alone that this is a cha- to write within yourself 
This is why I don't write about craft. There's nothing wrong with teaching people craft. You've got to learn it, right? I, and I still learn it. But once you learn craft, you can't forget it. It's like the ABCs in that way, for the most long right. you keep writing. But you can always forget to stay inside yourself. You can always let your attention wander. You And we Isn't do. That interesting? Isn't that That's just fascinating, the most important yeah. thing. The most important thing, and we think we learn it, and we have to keep relearning it and relearning yes. it and relearning that's it. That's right. And that's what's so wonderful about what you do, both for yourself and for others, because by writing that every day, that's you, the, you're, yes. you're coming back to it. You're, you're coming that's home, right. as you said. That's yeah, right. This is wonderful. what it feels like. So you would, and you would advise other writers to, to do a daily blog, maybe, and, and keep keep in that. Sure. Okay. You know. Well, yeah, that's another good um, okay. idea. You can put a blog out there and and publish it, self-publish on the blog. In other words, say to yourself, here's what I think is worth sharing with people, whether anyone thinks it or not. It's a great right. gift to give yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's wonderful. And in keeping with that, I know that one thing that you always like to ask your interviewees at the end of an interview is what <laughs> advice you give to a less experienced writer. And I know you've given a lot already, but is there anything else? Um, just you know, not that follows directly from a question that I asked, but just something that you would want to share with um, a less experienced writer. For a less experienced writer, I would say, first of all, uh, two things. First of all, you already have everything you need. You have everything you need inside you at this moment. You you probably need to learn a few things about the the nature of stories and craft, but that is insignificant compared to what you already have. So don't go looking outside yourself for the answers. You've come equipped with absolutely everything you need to write the story you want to write if, it, if you're a writer. That, in addition to that, I would say write the book you would most want to read. Mm-hmm. Write the book right. I think should be on the bookshelf. I, there's no better guide for, for, for directing you towards... Um, what would excite you most? What do you believe does it belongs on that bookshelf? Because you have to have the courage at some point to say, before an editor says yes, before an agent says yes, before readers say yes, you have to have the courage to say yes yourself, to say, this is interesting, this is funny, this is sexy, this is profound, whatever it is you, you're trying to write. You will be the leader in the end for this project, whatever you're writing. So write the thing you would pick up, that you would read, that turns you on, because that's the thing you know better than anything else is what you love. You will never know anything better than that. And what you love cannot leave you. It is unwavering. It is never dims or turns off. It is always right there, a thought away. And so rely on it. Write the book you would love to read, love to read. And I would have loved to have read this little book. I, I, I wrote it because I thought, what's the book I wish I had when I was a struggling young writer? And it's this one. I can't say it for anybody else, but I know that's what I would have wanted, was, that, was, that, was my little collection there. Wonderful. And um, finally, I know that uh, you have a memoir that is in the works. So just in closing, would you let us know what – you know what, when that's coming out, or what's going on with that, and if you have any. We don't know when it's coming out yet. Yeah, it's called "No One Is Broken," and it's uh, mm-hmm. about my son, who's on the autism spectrum, and how he taught me, uh, how he really pulled me out of my own 
funk. And in many ways, Right Within Yourself wouldn't have been written had it not been for him. And I couldn't Aww. have written the memoir had it not written Right Within Yourself. So uh, wow. the two are linked in that way. And wow. But, yeah, the experience of having him, some, a kid who's on the autism spectrum, diagnosed on that spectrum, taught me that known is broken. And that, that understanding was so profound and so far-reaching and so simple. But, but when you pull it apart, it, it just turns the world on its head. At least it did for me. Uh, and, and, it, and it's still um, a, that, that understanding. I still have to remember it. And it's still, that thought still takes me in deeper to life and to my work. But we don't know yet where we're going to publish it. It might be, well, we just don't know. We'll find it. We'll, yeah. yeah we'll, I know we'll everyone will it. know. <laughs> Alyssa, we have, uh, do we have time for one question from chat? Or? Okay, let's just do one from chat. I, I meant to have Bill read a little bit, so we'll just have to have him back. And <laughs> yes, uh, but yes, yes, go ahead and throw it in there. Yes, it's from Donna Chad. It's a really good question. She just bought his book and would love to hear more about his spiritual journey. Is he a um, meditator? And where did he first start believing what he believes? Great question, Donna. Thank you. I, I will try to answer that. That's a big question. I do meditate, but I only started meditating about six months ago. And I started writing these long before I was meditating. And, you know, the way I remember it, the, the thing that flipped it around for me. My wife was always pursuing things on a spiritual level, but I came at things from a much different place. And one day I was just miserable. I mean, I was just, I hit, I hit my bottom. And I was really, I understood why suicide was something you would do if it could end what I was feeling. It was just that bleak. And my wife said, listen to this, listen to this. And she played a teacher named uh, Abraham Hicks for me. I'd never heard her before. And I can't remember what she talked about that day, but she said one thing, which was, sense, which, which was that well-being, happiness, was the normal state of being, and unhappiness was the abnormal state of being. And I thought, well, that is just the exact opposite of what I've always thought, and so it's got to be true. It seems so counterintuitive to me. And as I looked into it, I could still remember that day. I, I heard that, and I got into my car, and I started driving to work. And I was working as a waiter. I this job. I was miserable. I was grumpy. I was a failure. All this crap. And I was driving to work, and I was thinking about it. I was running through my head, and I thought about the music I loved and how I would feel when I'd listen to this music that I loved. And I'd think about how it felt when I would write something I loved and what that felt like within me and what it felt like when I first met my wife and what that felt like within me to be with her. And I thought about all these experiences that, that would seemed to bring me happiness, these experiences that sort of injected happiness into me. And then I parked the car, and I had to get out of the car and go to work, and I was sitting there, and I wasn't thinking about anything. I wasn't writing, and I wasn't listening to music. And there was that same feeling. And I, there was no reason for it, but it was just there. And I thought, oh, I see. And, you know... People sometimes say they found God, and I've always found that misleading because I don't think you can – God or spirit or soul is not a point on a grid. Uh, for me, I have to find it with every thought I think, with every breath I take, because I have to keep remembering that. But it's there. If I find it, that's what I'm writing towards when I write my little essays. So that's how my journey really began, was that moment in the car. Wow, <laughs> that's beautiful. 
Um, okay, so in closing, do you can you direct people to a website where they can find yes. out more about yes, yes, you? Yes. And Great. So they can go to, for me personally, they can go to williamkenauer.com. William, K-E-N-O-W-E-R. That's williamkenauer.com. I got my in, some interviews there, my blogs, my author to author, my lecturing, my speaking and coaching, my book, and Author Magazine, which is authormagazine.org. Org, .org, is where you will find the video interviews, the some of our audio interviews, articles on writing, on writing life, my daily column, my blog. Uh, and so, yes, those are my two. Every Tuesday, I'm uh, at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, uh, is author to author, uh, live half-hour show where I talk to writers about all the things I'm talking to Melissa about right now. Tomorrow, for instance, I'll be talking to John Evison, the great John Evison, about who knows what, whatever we want to talk about. So that's, <laughs> yes, I think that just about covers my my panoply. Well, great. Thank you so much, Bill. It's really, really been a delight speaking with you, and you're so inspiring. <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. I so appreciate the opportunity. You are inspiring, too. Keep up the good work. It's great what you are doing there, and to Ferret, it's just awesome. And, of course, Jeffrey, oh. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, good night, and um, I'm going to go ahead and close the show. <laughs> thank you. And before we close, I'd like to let our listeners know that you can subscribe, donate, or purchase single issues of The Ferret Journal at our website, www.teferretjournal.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the new Teferit Talk book. It's a collection of interviews from the first year of Teferit Talk Radio. And also have a look at the special invitation from Hay House Publishers to join authors Gabriel Bernstein, Chris Carr, Nancy Levin, and Reed Tracy for a writer's workshop in New York City, June 22nd to 23rd. Our next Fair Talk interview will be June 17th at 7 p.m. with poet Jane Hirschfield. We hope you'll join us then. And in the meantime, we wish you peace, love, happiness, and fulfilling work. Until next time, goodbye.